Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm your host as always, Stan McCune, realtor right here in the upstate of South Carolina, and you can find all my contact information in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any of your real estate needs. And just a reminder as always, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, Uh, please share with your friends. I don't usually ask you guys to do that, but Go ahead and share with your friends. A lot of you guys are good about doing that anyway, but please do that. And if you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please hit that little five-star button. Please leave a short little review if you don't mind. And that helps get the show out to as many people as possible. And that encourages me to keep going with it. All right, today I want to talk about what is going on in the world of real estate and politics here in South Carolina specifically. Um, not so previously we've talked a little bit about what's going on in Greenville. This time we're going to talk about more on the state level. And the reason why I'm choosing to do that right now is for two reasons. One is that, um, I'm now the Greenville representative for, uh, for the realtor association on the South Carolina association of realtors legislative committee. So we have, uh, People, realtors on that committee from associations all over the state. Um, I am now the Greenville representative on that committee. Um, And that committee exists, the South Carolina committee exists to simply help real estate related things uh, happen in government and for real estate friendly politicians to get in and stay in government. It's not uh, affiliated with any specific party. It's just affiliated with real estate. So an example of one thing that was a major priority for them uh, a few years ago was when the pandemic happened, there was a big question of whether real estate was going to be uh, an essential business or not. And I think I brought this up uh, recently in a a different episode, Uh, but it was a really big deal. It was like an all hands on deck kind of thing, making sure that uh, real estate did not get deemed inessential. Um, or non-essential in the state of South Carolina. And so that's where this South Carolina Legislative Committee kicked in, did a whole bunch of work to try to uh, and and successfully got the uh, the government to see real estate as an, as an essential business. Um, and so here we are now. We have a, a variety of things going on that directly impact real estate for everyone and things that this committee is now being involved with. Um, on top of that, I just got back from last week. I spent three days in Columbia, South Carolina at a realtor conference called Capital Conference. And this was basically all things real estate and politics for the state of South Carolina. Now, a lot of this was uh, was review for me because I am on the legislative committee. So it wasn't like I was hearing all of these things for the first time. Um, but it was still very interesting and still extremely insightful. And I enjoyed my time there, even though I was pretty tired when I came back, um, had a, a lot of work to do. Of course, you know, when you're at a conference like that, um, you don't just get to check out and not answer your phone or, or whatever. I'm still serving all of my clients, but there's always plenty of stuff that gets backed up 
um, when something like that happens that doesn't impact my clients. And so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, I was having to do a ton of work uh, catching up from everything. And here I am recording this on Monday on the heels of all of that. Um, But it was a good time. I enjoyed my time there. And before I even get into any of these specific things with Uh, what's going on at the state level when it comes to real estate. I found very interesting multiple people that I spoke to at the Capitol Conference that were from Greenville or from anywhere because uh, there were people from all over the state at this event. What I kept hearing was everyone was working a lot but not making a lot of money to start this year, but they saw a lot coming in the pipeline. This was a consistent thing that a lot of people said, not a lot of closings to start the year, but a lot of work and uh, potential hopeful for future payout as it seemed like the spring season was going to be busy. So this kind of uh, strengthened my belief that we are going to see in the second quarter of this year, really a big uptick in real estate in the upstate. Um, There's a lot of things pointing to that that I see, anecdotal and statistical. And now I've had a lot of other conversations with other realtors who are seeing the exact same thing. So this seems to be a trend that seems to be pointing in a certain direction. Of course, the Federal Reserve this past week, um, they announced that they are increasing rates. Um, They did signal some optimism that, uh, of course, they they only raised the uh, their benchmark rate by uh, uh, 25 basis points, um, but they signal some optimism, and perhaps we are coming towards the end, if not already at the end, of these rate increases coming from the feds. So what I think needs to happen, and I, I think I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because people keep asking me, and I keep telling them, listen to my, po- listen to my podcast, um, what I think is going to happen is that the, the headlines on the media are going to start changing and start um, becoming more reflective of reality because people are are he- seeing these headlines, seeing, oh, home prices going way down. Oh, the market is flipping, all these things. And um, and they're, they're misunderstanding what's happening. It's not that prices are lower than they were a year ago. And it's not that we expect prices to go down this year versus... 2022. It's just that the prices aren't going to go up at the rate that they were before. And so if they, again, I know I use this exact example uh, just recently, but I'm going to say it again because I keep getting this question from people. If you go from rates being, sorry, from uh, appreciation one year being 20% year on year, and then that goes down to 5% year on year, that's a massive decrease. And so headlines are focusing on that decrease. But that decrease is still a decrease in the rate of appreciation. It's not saying that prices are going down. They're just appreciating at a slower rate. Um, so I just need, I, I just feel like that it bears repeating because those questions keep getting thrown out. But all that to say, what I think is going to happen is as things start looking better, as uh, the media realizes that the housing market isn't crashing, that they they can't honestly put those headlines forward because people are going to see right through them. I think that the media narrative is going to change, and then I think that that will impact people's perception of the market as well. 
and then that will impact their actions. And I think that all of that will probably come at a time when uh, it's the busy season for the market anyway. And so um, that's kind of what I'm anticipating here for the spring and summer. Um, But as far as what's happening on the state level, there are um, a lot of interesting things. And I think for starters, we're going to have a slow start to this year um, because there's a lot of new people, uh, new state legislators, particularly in the House, um, but I think also in the Senate as well. Um, well, no, I, I should clarify. It's mostly in the House. The Senate did not have as much uh, as much turnover. I misspoke there for a second. The turnover was mostly in the House. There's a lot of freshmen uh, congressmen here in the state. And so that is going to, it's just going to take them some time to catch up on some things. But there are some very, very important things that are going to be uh, discussed this year. Um, I'm not going to go through all of these things, but I think it's worth uh, mentioning a few of these, and I think that you guys will find some of these things interesting. Um, probably the most interesting one for me, there, there's a, well, there's a few of them, um, but the one that really stands out to me is um, Lee Hewitt, who is a realtor. Um, he filed a bill in the House regarding short-term rental legislation, and what he's He's basically, he's not thinking that this bill is going to be passed, okay? Um, It has to go through the Senate. Nobody thinks it will go through the Senate. But it has actually a lot of support in the House. And and this bill is essentially, um, has the idea that if local municipalities, which I understand to be cities, counties, and the like, if they do any sort of ban on short-term rentals, meaning... not allowing people to use their houses for Airbnb purposes for rentals of less than 30 days, that then that property would no longer be subject to the 6% investment tax rate. Then that property would be taxed as an owner-occupied property. That is not going to pass the Senate, okay? It's just, it's not going to happen. Uh, But that being said, it is interesting that there is all this interest in the house on on getting short-term rentals accepted at the state level um and so in the end what what this is doing what uh representative hewitt is trying to do is he's trying to build this coalition in the house so that they can then go to the senate and start a conversation start negotiating start negotiating start trying to figure out how can we reach consensus on this? Because it's it's very difficult. You've got all of these different places that have all these different rules about short-term rentals. And honestly, from my standpoint as a realtor, it's challenging, right? I have people come to me and they're like, hey, I want to buy an investment property potentially used as an Airbnb. And it's like, okay, avoid city limits. Um, well, which city? Well, for sure, Greenville, right? Well, I saw that there are uh, that there are Airbnbs in Greenville it, within the city. Yes, they're not operating legally, and they could end up getting busted. Well, why don't they get busted? Well, because the city of Greenville is not currently actively, at least to my knowledge, seeking these offenders out. They're kind of waiting on until people get reported. Um, 
you know, well, what about other cities? Well, yeah, some of the other cities have their own rules about short-term rentals as well. What about HOAs? Um, now, I don't think that, that this uh, legislation would impact HOAs. I think HOAs would still have the aut- autonomy to reject short-term rentals. But I think you get the point, is that it's confusing when I'm trying to guide clients in trying to make a, a, a short-term, a potential investment, short-term rental purchase um, it's not easy to do because of all these different rules, uh, and you'll sometimes you'll cross over into city limits that have rules that you don't even know about, and you don't even know that you crossed over city limits. Like Greer city limits, look that one up sometime, and uh, and see how absolutely bizarre Greer city limits is. Um, so I'm very interested in that. I'm hoping that they're able to maybe even work something out um, this year with the with the Senate. Um, right now, the language of the actual bill, by the way, this is House Bill 3253, if you want to look it up. Um, the language isn't important. They're just trying to get people to the table. So that'll be something uh, interesting to watch. Another one that I thought was interesting that I think you guys will find interesting is rollback taxes on agricultural property. So if you have property that is uh, used agricultural for agricultural farming uses, you get major, major property tax breaks. But if you then go and sell it to someone who's going to change that use from agricultural to something else, or I believe if you yourself change it from agricultural to a different use, you're then subject to pay back taxes based on the new use. Now, recently that was changed from a from five years of back taxes, which is insane. Five years of back taxes. Um, it was changed from five years to three years, um, but House Bill uh, 3071 is trying to get that change down to one year. Um, I, I think that that's extremely reasonable. Honestly, I don't think that there should be any back taxes. There, there's another bill um, that's out there that's trying to get that the, the, the rollback taxes um reduced to one dollar um but long story short they're they're trying to reduce the impact of farmers selling their land once they can no longer make money from agricultural uses um that bill it's it's not going anywhere immediately but we've done it once before we've gotten it reduced from five to three years now we just need to go from three to one year we just need to get enough people that are cons- that see the need for that. It's just it's just not fair. If you own agricultural property and you need to sell it, you shouldn't be penalized for the fact that that you're trying to sell it. So that's something that uh, that is being worked on. Um, another one that I thought was interesting. Um, this isn't a bill. This is more just something that the South Carolina Association of Realtors is working on is wholesaling. Uh, for those of you who don't know, wholesaling is basically, um, some people might call it bird dogging. Um, it's basically what uh, real estate, what being a real estate agent used to be like 100 years ago, back when real estate started on Wall Street before there was all these rules uh, surrounding it. Um, but the long story short, um, wholesaling is when someone finds a motivated seller, 
Someone that wants to sell their property for below market value, usually it requires a lot of work. Oftentimes it has a tenant that's paying well below uh, what market rent is. And then that wholesaler gets it under contract for, say, $100,000 and then goes out and markets it to uh, potential buyers for $120,000. And then if he gets a buyer for that price or perhaps more, um, then that buyer ends up purchasing it for that full amount. The seller gets the $100,000 and the wholesaler gets the difference between the two. Um, So... This is an interesting, so I I stand in an interesting place here because a lot of wholesalers in the Greenville area are my friends. I've actually gone out of my way to to make friends with them, and I've had a lot of closings over the years with them, properties I bought, properties my clients have bought. And so um, I do not, and and before I became a realtor, I actually did um, some wholesale deals myself. I, I created a website. I got some leads there. And uh, it, it wasn't something that it was something I decided I did not want to do. I, I instead chose to go the realtor route. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't look at wholesaling and think, oh, this is a terrible thing. Um, the problem is that there's a lot of wholesalers out there that are dishonest, take advantage of people, steal deals from the good wholesalers, um, do all sorts of things. And so, um, the South Carolina Association of Realtors is looking at this because it's like, okay, from a realtor perspective, um, they they see wholesalers as basically undermining everything that realtors have taken so long to build. You know, we've got this code of ethics, we've got all these rules we have to follow, and for wholesalers, they they really don't have any rules to follow. The only rule is don't get sued. You know, don't do something that might get you sued, and so. Um, there's a task force that's looking into this. Um, I'm not, to be honest, uh, super optimistic that they're going to be able to, uh, to get something legally accomplished that will really curtail wholesaling. I think that they could, if they really wanted to, if they, if they were willing to do, uh, to make a few changes that were necessary. But, um, at, for the time being, I'm not sure that that's something that, um, that's going to happen, and uh, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Another item that is on the South Carolina Association of Realtors agenda for trying to change in our local politics, in our on, in our state politics, is trying to get rid of discriminatory HOA regulations, um, and that might you might not realize that this is a thing because. Obviously, HOAs that have been popping up the past 20 or 30 years, they don't discriminate, right? They follow, they're not legally allowed to discriminate. They follow fair housing laws. They have to. They can't say, um, you know, hey, only people of this color or of this nationality can live in this neighborhood. Um, They are allowed to have uh, neighborhoods that are age restricted, but that's only to help the elderly population. Right. That's not to exclude people. That's simply to help people, you know, in these 55 and older communities. Um, But there are discriminatory regulations that are out there on older properties, properties that aren't in a classic HOA community where you have to pay HOA dues. But there are still what we call deed restrictions on those properties. So here's what this 
concept is. If I own a property, I can pay for an attorney to file deed restrictions. You could probably do it with the register of deeds without paying anything. I've never gone through that process. But you can add deed restrictions to your property. You can basically say, hey, um, I don't want people to ever uh, have livestock on this property. And the reason why people will do this is let's say that you're, uh, you're, you've got like 20 acres and you want to keep you know, a couple acres with your house on it, but you want to sell off all the other acreage, but you don't want to be near chickens because they stink, right? Um, you can then put those deed restrictions on that property and then when you sell that property, those restrictions apply and 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 are enforceable, unless those restrictions at some point um, are overruled by state or federal law. Well, that's what we had with some of these discriminatory restrictions that would not allow black people um, in certain neighborhoods when uh, laws were passed that said, no, that's not allowed those discriminatory regulations basically became non-enforceable. But they're still on the books. Um, and here's the challenge, is that it's not it's not cheap or easy to get rid of them. And you say, well, why is it not cheap or easy? Well, it because of the fact that, again, let's say that you didn't want there to be chickens near your house, and when you sold off land you put those deed restrictions in there, you don't want it to be just easy for someone to go in there and change that without you uh, giving your consent. And so there are protections and provisions in place to protect those deed restrictions. But here we have a very unusual situation where when uh, where, where those deed restrictions are still in place because they're difficult and expensive to get rid of, but they aren't able to be enforced because they're now illegal. Um, but it's still hurtful to some people because uh, it will come up. And we'll see this when the closing attorney, they do their title work, they might find these deed restrictions, and then they send them to the buyer. The buyer reads them and is like, you know, what's up with this? You know, that they didn't allow certain people in this neighborhood, you know, 70 years ago. That's insane. Um but that's the, the type of thing that we see sometimes in real estate in specifically in the South. Um, so they're trying to we're trying to come up with a way so that it doesn't have to be a burdensome and lengthy and expensive legal process to get rid of regulations, HOA regs, uh, covenants and restrictions that are already illegal on the state or federal level. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to see some movement on that because everyone wants that, right? There's no reason for us to have illegal uh, covenants and restrictions on the books. Um, we can just we should be able to find a way to to wipe those clear, um, but we need to do it in a way that doesn't potentially undermine the legal regulations, the legal deed restrictions that people have um, that we could potentially put in danger by making it too easy to get restrictions. So we have to to find the balance between those two things. And it's taken a lot longer than we thought it would because it's it's trickier to do, to find that balance between getting rid of these illegal 
restrictions and but also not opening the door to making it easy to get rid of a lot of legal restrictions as well. So um, that's something that um, is being looked at, that's being uh, worked on as well. Um, we have a lot more, there, there's a lot more on this that I could talk about. Um, there's a big push for uh, realtors to have better education and for brokers to be closer to their agents. Um, we could find uh, a situation in the near future where maybe brokers aren't allowed to broker more than one office. That would be very interesting. There's also a constant uh, push towards realtors having better training. And some of this is, and and what I'm a, a big fan of, because we all know that there's a lot of realtors out there that don't know what they're doing. Um, they're actually talking about implementing core educational classes that are required that actually teach realtors how to do real estate. Like, wow, that would be incredible. Because uh, right now, pretty much uh, the only type of core education that we have as realtors is just talking about legal stuff and talking about ethical things, that type of stuff that you don't ever get into, oh, here's a, a practical class on how to actually sell real estate. Um, currently, the system is structured so that brokers uh, and, and brokerages are responsible for doing that. But guess what? Some of these brokerages, they don't do it anything. Uh, they don't have meetings hardly at all. I mean, yeah, they're legally required to have meetings, but you're not legally required to attend them. You're not legally required to go to any uh, education that you're, uh, if you're a realtor that your brokerage provides. Um, so I, I think that the Realtor Association is starting to realize, you know, hey, we need to, we, we've got quite a bit of money. We're sitting on quite a bit of money, which by the way, the, uh, the LLR is threatening to take some of the South Carolina Association of Realtors money if we don't start spending it, which is kind of insane. Um, but some of that money is uh, is hopefully going to go to good educational uses. And so I'm optimistic about that. So those are just a few things happening on the state level that are interesting. I'm, I'm going to keep you guys, you guys know, um, I'm I'm involved. I'm pretty involved in the local political scene. That's something that I enjoy. I feel like it's a lot more interesting and uh, a lot more potential for impact than on the national federal level. Um, so I will keep you guys apprised of things that are happening that pertain to real estate as I become aware of them. Um, but I hope that this was helpful and informative for you. And I think that the future is bright. We need to um, we need to keep pushing these things forward. Hopefully, our, our state politics, which is kind of divided right now, just like it is on a national level, hopefully we'll be able to find some common ground on some things in order to get things passed. Um, but, but we'll see. It's going to be an interesting uh, next few years with these uh, new people that are, uh, that are in the state house, and, and we'll just have to follow it one month, one year at a time. Thank you guys for listening. All my contact information is in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any of your real estate needs. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show, and we will talk again next time. <laughs>